This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this virtual qualification recording of Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous. I am a food addict from Maryland, and I will share my story of recovery from food addiction. When I joined FA, uh, I was told that when I was asked to share my story, to start out talking a little bit about what it was like before I came to F.A., how it is that F.A. and I found each other, and what my life is like now. What I remember from a young child, there were a couple of things that were present. Um, I was obsessed with how my body looked. I, I don't know why. Um, I used to watch a lot of TVs. I was enthralled by movie stars. And it seems to me that movie stars had hourglass figures. So that's what I wanted for myself. And of course, as a kid, I didn't have that yet, um, And but I've wanted it. And the other thing is I was a picky eater at that time. I didn't want to eat foods that were too um, soggy, or maybe it was overcooked and so the color was all wrong, or maybe it was swimming in brown stuff and I didn't know what that was. It seemed like it was a mystery. So I didn't want to eat it. And when nobody was looking, I would toss it down this vent that led to the furnace. And my brother, not too long ago, said, I saw you doing that, so I started doing it too. Or I would say, let me go to the bathroom, and then I would, you know, get rid of the food. I remember one night in particular, I was at the table. Everybody else had left the table. Dinner was over. And a family member and I had, we had a stand down. And I remember the sun went down. The moon came out, got later and later, and I didn't want to eat whatever this was. Finally, I gave them and just swallowed it. It went on up to bed. So that's what it was like uh, when I was a kid. You know, I would wear like wide belts. Um, I remember being in junior high school and to get an hourglass figure. I don't know how I managed to save my allowance, but I secretly bought a corset. So I'm on the bus and I'm wearing this corset. I'm a kid, the stays pop, one of them was sticking me in the side. So this was called, and you'll hear this if you come to some of our meeting, we call it going to any length. But I was actually going in the wrong direction. What happened next is, as a young woman, I was married. I was quite young when I married, and uh, I had uh, two babies very soon after. And this was during the time of the Vietnam era. And I was married to someone in the military. And this is when now my fear presented itself. 
I was worried that my husband might die in combat. And I didn't have resources like I have now to reach out to, you know, to help me through these, what I call now, spiritual matters. It was me really thinking that I was mature, but I really wasn't mature. So then I went from being a picky eater to under eating. I would get worried or I would get afraid, and then I wouldn't eat at all. But along with this kind of running parallel to this was eating sweets and reading. And I could, when I was a kid, you could go and buy sweet stuff for a penny. And so that could do a lot of damage. And I I had this thought, um, sometimes it comes to my mind now, when I would be walking through the city streets, and we used to say unkind things about people who were drinking too much, and because it was against the law to have their alcohol in public, they would have it in a paper bag. And so we would have unkind things to say about them. But in my food addiction, my drug of choice was also in a paper bag. And I would be at the top of the house. My mother would be away at work. And I would be at the top of the house um, with books. And I would be eating sweet stuff and reading. And I think my family thought, oh, she's a bookworm. She's reading. That's okay. But no, the stuff I was reading, I had no business to be reading it. I don't know if any of you, I'm probably telling my age now, I don't know if any of you remember the famous True Confessions. So I was reading stuff like that, um, you know, really in secret. And I also, and I don't know why, I read a lot of stuff about horror and war. You know, like the Russian uh, uh, authors, like Crime and Punishment. I was reading stuff like that. I still don't know why now. So those two things really did not belong together. Then as I got older, um, my I joined the military. Um, at first, if a woman had children, she could not be a member of the military. But then things changed around the late 70s. And so I, I went into the military and uh, I was a, a, a corpsman. And we know that the physical readiness standards are very strict. So for many years, I lived in fear of being, of failing the test where you were actually weighed and measured. As a female, they would take out uh, measurements. They'd measure your neck and measure your upper arms, your thighs, and then your waist, and they do these mathematical calculations. And if it didn't come out right, then they would weigh you. That didn't come out right. On your paperwork would go in giant bold letters, fail. And this meant that you were not promotable for the next three years. So even in knowing that, I continued to eat more and more addictively trying everything except changing how I ate. A bunch of us women uh, went to a gym and we had a retired boxer trying to whip us into shape. 
So we'd be out at, you know, four o'clock in the morning doing our runs with weights up and down steps. And for my um, military work, I became very strong. I could do chin-ups. I could do my runs. I could do my sit-ups. I could do all of that very strong. But I can't say that I really lost any weight because I was still eating the same way. The most desperate thing I did during this time, I had a weigh-in. I was worried that I was going to be overweight. So I used to have like what I call big hair because I thought if I had big hair, the rest of me would look smaller by comparison. So this is that thinking that goes on that doesn't make a lot of sense now when I look back on it. I raced to the barbershop late in the evening and had all my hair cut off. And I'm sure that that only knocked off, what would he think, two ounces maybe? Um, and then another time I did the opposite. I put on my full dress uniform and I put on my steel-toed safety boots. And I was arguing with the person trying to weigh me. This weighs at least 10 pounds. Look at these boots. So just stuff like that out of uh, desperation. In the end, the last uh, test that I took, or the next to the last test I took for my military time, I did, in fact, fail it. And I felt ashamed. Thank goodness, though, by then I had enough years to retire. And so, you know, I, I, I ran. I, I left, but at least I was able to retire. I've been to several commercial diet programs. I have, um, these are my efforts to try and I think what I wanted to do was eat what I wanted to eat, but not gain the weight and not have problems. I think that's what I wanted. And of course, for me, there was no such thing. So many commercial programs. I traveled around the city going to nutritionists. We would have these long lectures. I went to someone who was uh, selling uh, herbs of sorts. I still have no idea what was in those uh, concoctions that I was being given, but I paid a lot of money for it. Uh, some of you may remember cassette tapes. In my car, I had a cassette tape of uh, subliminal suggestions. Remember subliminal suggestions? And I would get out of the car on my way to work. Yeah, raw, got it, go, you know, like all of this energy. But then I would go straight to the cafeteria and buy whatever, you know, and put it in my mouth. Also during this time, I began to, I stopped eating a lot because I began drinking alcohol. And that nearly took my life. Things that happened were things like I fell down the steps and broke my ankle. I vomited in my sleep. I was pulled over by the police. Thank goodness um, I was guided to that particular 12-step program and uh, was able to, by the grace of my higher power, put the cork in the bottle. But then, that wasn't all, I then picked up my fork. And I began, I called it digging my grave in, a, in another way. So my eating increased. And I went from being um, a picky eater to an emotional non-eater to a binge eater. 
And with my binge eating, the weight rapidly was coming on. I was no longer in military service. And so I became, I described myself as a binge eater, a binge doer, and a binge reader. I came to F.A. for the first time in 2003. And I always like to give a shout out to the greeters um, because a lady came up to me and said, the pounds are just going to melt off and your life is going to be an adventure. And that is exactly what happened. By God's grace, I gave away 60 pounds and I went to live overseas. I lived over there for eight years. And when I was willing and I was doing all of the things that our program suggests that we do, I was abstinent. I discovered or I had a diagnosis of a particular kind of cancer when I was there. And because I was abstinent, I believed that my behavior at the time was not doing anything to make matters worse. And so I came home and had surgery And you can see that I recovered very nicely from that. You know, once again, my higher power saved me. When I went back to Europe after my treatment, though, um, slowly but surely, because my particular disease is between my two ears, and in subtle ways, I can find myself not doing what I'm supposed to do. And that is what happened. So that eventually I was back eating addictively again, and it was worse. When I retired, I was in the food when I came back here to the United States. And there's a story, there's a book that we read in our fellowship. The book is Alcoholics Anonymous. And there's a story in there about a gentleman who stopped drinking so he wouldn't lose his job. But then when he retired, he began to drink in earnest, and it wasn't long before he passed away. So here I was retired, and I was eating addictively, and I was wondering if I was about to die. One day, well, really in the middle of the night, I was uh, half asleep, the TV was on, and there was a minister on the TV talking about planting seeds. And I'm a gardener, so it got my attention. I called the station, and I told the truth about myself, that I had gained a lot of weight. I couldn't seem to stop myself from eating, and I asked them to pray for me. And this very kind lady said, of course we will pray for you. Within two days, I was at an AA meeting, and at an AA meeting, um, the speaker says, I also have a healthy and wholesome way of eating. So, of course, I went up to her, and you know what she said. Yes, I'm a member of FA. And I went home that day. I looked in my phone, and I found a meeting for um, that Saturday morning. And a greeter, once again, welcomed me with open arms, welcome back. She gave me the newcomer's packet and told me what to eat that would be abstinence. And I also told the truth about myself again. I told her what my plan was. My plan was to 
get my act together, get in a right sinus this body, and then go into town where people who knew me from the beginning would see me that I was doing all right. So I wanted to stay out in the middle of nowhere until I got my act together. And I'm glad I said that to her because she said, that's being dishonest. Go to the meeting, find a sponsor. And I followed directions. I found a sponsor. For me, a sponsor is someone who guides me. She gives me suggestions. We have conversations about what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, how I'm acting. And she guides me through the literature and she shares her experience, strength, and hope with me. And so I have this wonderful spiritual friend for my journey. This time around, what I have that I think I didn't have before is willingness. In our fellowship, uh, within our step work, we take a close look at ourselves. I take a close look at myself. And what are my defects of character that might mean I would go back to eating addictively again? And one of that, one of those defects is when I am defiant or when I keep things to myself that I should be talking about. A big one is the word laziness, and I don't like the word itself. I think it's a terrible sounding word, but I looked it up and it says an unwillingness to expend energy. So this is why each day in my quiet time, my conversations too with my higher power, I ask for willingness, especially willingness to do those things that I really don't want to do. Maybe I'm afraid or maybe I've gotten on my hot horse again, but I will ask for the willingness. Another thing is we have a toolbox in our fellowship. There are many tools in there like reading our literature, writing about our feelings, going to our meetings. And I've added a specific one to my personal toolbox, and that is commitment. I have been a sort of on-again, off-again person, trying to go by my feelings. I don't feel like doing this today, so I won't. But now, with my tool of writing, I write it down. It becomes a commitment. And so the meetings that I go to, they are commitments. And reaching out to other fellows in our fellowship, those are all commitments for me. And I'm no longer dropping the ball like I used to. I would drop the ball or um, try to do disappearing acts. I'm very grateful to do service. I'm appreciative for the invitation to come out today and to share my experience, strength, and hope. And this life that I'm living now, I'm very grateful for it. It's a, it's a wonderful life. Some of the things that are happening, I have these uh, sweet, sweet moments. Uh, not too long ago, my granddaughter and I were in a fashion show together of all things. We walked the runway together, you know, two different generations. And I have this wonderful memory, uh, sad to say, because of my drinking, uh, my marriage didn't last. But because of our fellowship, I was able to 
apologized to my former husband about my part in the breakup of our marriage. And sad to say, um, he did pass away recently. I was able to be there, especially for our daughters, to go each day to visit when he was in hospice, but I was a quiet presence in the back of the room. I just wanted to be a presence. And then when the call came that he was about to pass away, I went, and again, I was a quiet presence. I was there when he took his last breath. For all of these things, I'm grateful. And I didn't need to resort to any flour or sugar or unmeasured quantities in going through any of this. I have this wonderful memory of us. Um, when our, we were happy in our marriage, we used to absolutely love to go dancing. And so even when he became quite ill and he was with uh, having to use a walker, I bought tickets for us to go to this New Year's Eve um, jazz fest at a church in town. Wonderful. We got to dance a little bit. He could put his walker to the side. You know, my daughter was there to help us. And this is what happens as a result of my transformation within this fellowship. So I have that memory to go with me. My older daughter called me, it's been a couple of years ago, and she said, Ma, I have been praying for you, and I am so grateful that my prayers have been answered. You're healthy, you're living a good life, and I don't have to worry about you anymore. So I keep getting these wonderful gifts in our fellowship. We have a part of our fellowship that we do where we get together and we uh, study the 12 steps. There are actually 12 steps, several 12-step uh, programs use these steps. We do too. And so we're able to go through these steps together and look at them deeply. And we share our experience, strength, and hope. And I find myself learning so much more about myself. In one of our meetings, we talked about blind spots. And it's like every light in the room came for me. What are my blind spots? And I have seen the pattern of my own self-centeredness running through my life. And now I'm making amends for this. Um, for example, yes, there is a regret that I have. I have a first cousin. We grew up together. He went to Vietnam. He came home an amputee. And when he passed away, I didn't make any effort really to get to his funeral, try to support his family. And so now I'm making amends for that, where I will have his uh, name engraved in a, in a brick walkway at the uh, Marine Corps Museum and, and, and also... Uh, he will be in the roll call of the honored. So these are things that um, it's what can I do and looking for the positive. What is the next right thing to do? And when I don't know, I pick up the phone and say, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. And someone very calmly will say, 
well, what about this? What have you tried so far? Um, you know, just uh, as we're about to close, just a, a funny story, because I still can have this this wild thinking. The paint on my car was literally peeling off, right? I went outside and there's paint in the driveway. You know where my thought went? Oh, no, I'm going to have to buy a new car. Who has that kind of money? I don't want to do that. <laughs> my sponsor said, please go get the facts. Go to the dealership. Show them, get the facts. And I found out that this was a recall item that they needed to repair themselves. I mean, I can tell so many little simple stories like that over and over again. And it gives me something to kind of giggle over now. So I also don't have to take myself so seriously, you know, as I have done in the past. I feel as if in our fellowship, I'm actually making living amends to myself, um, continue to ask for forgiveness and things that I have done that I'm not proud of. And I ask that I not repeat it. So I'm very grateful having, I think we discovered each other. Um, I discovered FA, my higher power knew when I was ready because I am hard hit. I can be quite hard hit, but I think my higher power was watching over me and saying, yeah, she's had enough. She's ready. And it turned out to be so true. Now, this is a life that I am living that I actually, I wanted. And it promised this, us that, that we'll keep coming back. We might start out feeling I have to, and then it changes to I want to. And now that I want to do it, and I think I've reread this in our um, in our twenty four hour book, and the reading is something like, "It's so wonderful when now you're doing not stuff because you ought to do it, you find out because you want to do it." And for me, it it's all the difference in the world. I'm so happy that even in our pandemic, it was just right one time how the two things intersected. So we had this pandemic, something we've really never seen. And in the midst of it, we have this amazing technology. I have some sponsees, for example, um, who have yet to go to an in-person meeting. They came and joined us during the pandemic. So their meetings have been by teleconference or video conference. And the other day, some of us took a trip into town and we actually went to an in-person meeting. So I've met people now from, you know, Ireland, England. I mean, it just goes on and on. And I think that is absolutely amazing. Um, the big book says that, you know, we will meet people that we maybe never would have met otherwise. And so this is a result too of our modern technology. So we've just been able to keep rolling along and I didn't have to find myself living in isolation or becoming so very fearful. So thank you everyone for this invitation to come out today to share. And, um, and I wish you the very best. Please, you're welcome to join us on the road of recovery.
Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.